0: Well, as you just heard, uh, I'll be heading on sabbatical uh, in the middle of this month, and uh, I have mixed feelings about it. I'll tell you why. Uh, I'm very grateful for a time to rest, uh, to recharge, um, just to have some time to reflect and and to look into the future and do some research and uh, reading and and certainly spend some time with my family. Uh, It's going to be a really good time, and uh, I'm grateful for the gift that that is to me. But I am also really excited about what's happening at Westside. And so part of me is going to have a little bit of a hard time stepping away uh, and and just kind of not being here for a little while. Uh, I really believe that God is doing something Remarkable uh, here at Westside. Something I think that He has for us in the future that, in many ways, uh, for some of us who have been here for quite a while, uh, I think He's been preparing us for for a long time, even though we didn't know exactly what that is or what that would look like. But uh, there's been so much disruption in the world for all of us in the last couple of years in a whole bunch of different ways. Uh, And yet, I believe that God is doing something and whispering to many of us, not just at Westside, but certainly at Westside, about how He might be leading us into the future and the kinds of things that he would have us to do, the kind of kim- kingdom impact uh, that, that uh, is out there and is available, the opportunities uh, to share our faith and, and to make an impact in our city and further beyond that. And so I am thrilled for what God is doing here, and I am really excited to take some time off, but I'm really also excited, even though I haven't uh, started that yet, to come back. And so I want you to know that and uh, really, I know it's weird, um, but just believing that this is going to be an exciting time and and. Really, I think the two things go together, that it'll be a great time uh, for me and for for my family uh, to prepare for what is ahead. And so we've been in this series the last few weeks uh, talking about some of the core values of who we believe God has called us to be as a church and a community. And so if you're new or watching online, maybe you've been watching for a little while, this is a great series just to to think about and and to learn about uh, who we are and what's most important to us. And um, before I head out on sabbatical, this is, for me, I think a chance to share on behalf of our leadership and our board um, some of those things to you and to get excited about what the future could be and some of the things that we're going to be involved in. And so uh, this week, I want to talk about something I'm really passionate about, um, as well as next week, um, and just share my, my heart and our heart as a church with some of you. I want to tell you a bit of a story. A number of years ago, uh, and a whole bunch of us were part of this, and so you'll know this story, um, but it was, it was such a great moment for us. And some of you, uh, if you're newer in the last couple of years, might not know, but a number of years ago, um, we were getting our heads together trying to figure out um, how we can really make an impact in our city. And we were looking as a leadership for some organizations in Hamilton that we thought were doing some really good things, some, some things that just aligned with who we are um, and made a difference in people's lives. And uh, so we started hunting around for those things. And um, we found this organization called Food for Kids Hamilton. If you don't know about Food for Kids Hamilton, what they do is they provide, uh, they provide food for kids who during the week depend on school programs to to be fed, to have food. One day there was this this woman, a teacher, who went to school. She went early on a Monday morning, beginning of the week, uh, and she found that there was this young student who had been there at 6.15 waiting in the cold in the dark all by himself. And she got there a little bit closer to 7.15 when they open up and have breakfast club at that school. And uh, she found out that this child had been there so early because he hadn't eaten all weekend long. He had no access to food, certainly not healthy food. And she got there and it just broke her heart. And she started to realize that he wasn't the only one. In fact, in this school, there was a number of kids who relied from Monday to Friday on what the school could provide them. And then from Friday night until Monday morning, had very little, if anything, to eat. And so she said, we have to do something about this. She started this organization and, and that's what they do today. Uh, on Friday afternoons, they take uh, a bag full of nutritious food and in a, a discreet way, uh, a way that gives dignity to these children and their families. They, they slip them in their backpacks and make sure that when they go home, they've got a whole backpack full of food to sustain them throughout the weekend. And uh, we started doing some research and we found this organization and some of us, just our hearts started Going, man, we, we have a heart for the next generation. We have a heart for, for children. We obviously have a heart for people who are in need right here in our city. And so when we started jumping on board, we looked and realized that they had, uh, they were serving 1,200 kids in our city in over 60 schools. And when you look at the list of schools, it's not like it was all over the city, including all of the schools that some of us said, this is where my kids go or will go. And we just went, man, this is an incredible thing. So one of the things we do at Westside, when we come to the end of the year in December, we often pick a few projects. Some of them are in the church, some of them are in the city, and we raise some money and we just want to express our generosity and our gratitude for all that God has given us. And so we put together a few projects. We wanted to raise about $30,000 and we penciled in Food for Kids. We thought, man, if we could give them a few thousand dollars, what would really make a difference? And so we started thinking about that and praying about that. And I remember one night I'm at a concert. Um, I'm at an Elton John concert with my extended family. That's a whole nother story. And uh, I'm sitting there and I had this moment where uh, I felt, I just felt like God was speaking to me in a way that, that I couldn't ignore. Um... Don't tell anybody, it's a little embarrassing. But I'm sitting there in the middle of this concert and tears are streaming down my face. Like if somebody was looking at me instead of Elton, they'd be like, this guy's losing his mind. <laughs> but here in the middle of this, this whole thing, I'm, 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 I'm just feeling like God is telling Dave, there's these kids in our city who go to the schools all around you who are hungry, and we found out at that time that they were serving 1,200 kids, and it was amazing, but there was 100 kids on the waiting list, 100 kids that they wanted to serve that had signed up, their families had signed up to say, we have a need, but, but the program said, we just, we can't bring kids on unless we can sustain them, and so they put out that need, and I remember going home, and the next day, going to our board at the time and saying, guys, it's great we put this on the list, but I think we need to flip all of these numbers. I just think God's saying, You're, we were going to do some stuff in the building, so so if you see some frayed carpet here and there and some stuff, you go, why didn't they renovate that? This story is why. But we just went, because our building's really important, but we just went, man, there's kids on a waiting list who need to be fed in our city. And we felt like in that moment, God was just saying, you guys could make an impact. And so I went to the board and I said, I just, I'm feeling uneasy about these numbers. Maybe we should switch them around. And the board goes to me, wow, that's amazing because we were all kind of feeling the same way. And as we pray through it, we feel like God is calling us to that. And so uh, we came to the congregation at that time And we pitched this and we just said, listen, there's all these kids and we can't ignore this. And we feel like, um, you know, this might not be all the time, but God is putting us on our hearts to to make a difference here. Um, And I tell you this story because I think it was a moment for a lot of us who were here at Westside where God just shifted our priorities and said, this is who you are. This is who, who you need to be. And there was just this small group of people at the church that just went, yeah, we got to do that and got excited and gave sacrificially and generously. And that Christmas, we gave over $20,000 to Food for Kids and literally took dozens of kids off the waiting list into the program, paying for the entire year. The following year, we gave even more. And that was just because of a bunch of people saying, we believe that God is calling us to this. And I don't tell you that story to, to brag about our church. I do a little bit. But it was this moment where, where for us, it was like, this is what we value. This is what's important to us. This needs to be part of the DNA of our church, of who we are as a group of people. So today, um, I want to talk about that value of, of compassion, of generosity, of making a difference. And uh, I just want to talk to you about where I believe if we follow Jesus, we will find Jesus. If you say, how do I find Jesus in the world? How do I find Jesus in my life in the city? Where will we find him? Matthew chapter 25, I'll start reading in verse 31. It says this. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence. And he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Okay, a little bit of background here. The Son of Man... For uh, the Jewish audience that would have been first reading this and thinking about this, Son of Man is a messianic title, so it's a title for the one that they were expecting to come as the Messiah, the one who is sort of going to be this kingly figure that was going to rescue his people, that was going to usher in the kingdom of God, whatever that was going to look like. And that title comes from Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, there are these, uh, this vision that's happening. And uh, in the vision, there's these beasts that are arising, and um, they are representative of kings and of kingdoms that are oftentimes very oppressive, specifically towards people who are seen as weak or vulnerable or don't have enough. These empires often uh, do a lot with their power to keep people who are powerful in power and ignoring other people. And then it says in Daniel 7 verse 13, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man, which can just mean like a human, coming with the clouds of heaven He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. So think for a second, if you're someone reading this a couple of thousand years ago with a Jewish background and you hear about a story, the son of man, when the son of man comes with power and authority, you're thinking, this is the the kind of thing we had in our scriptures. Oh yeah, the son of the man, the the Messiah that's going to come. He's going to usher in God's kingdom. And what does that kingdom look like? It's eternal. It's never going to end. It's never going to be destroyed. The the son of man is going to have authority, honor, sovereignty. So he's going to be very powerful. All the nations of the world, Every race and every nation will come and obey him. Like this is not just gonna be for one little group of people, but this is gonna be something that spreads into the entire world and nobody's ever gonna be able to stop it. So when we start reading here in Matthew 25 and Jesus, he's alluding to himself, talks about when the son of man comes in his glory. In other words, when this kingdom is really getting rolling, when you see the son of man, the savior, here's what it's gonna look like. And he starts telling these stories, notice, about how uh, there's people from all, all nations, that's, you know, we just read that from Daniel, gathered in the presence. And then there's this separation happening of sheep and goats. And the people would have gone, well, we have an expectation for that. We have an expectation about the, the mess, Messiah figure. And Jesus now is going to say, whatever your expectation is or was, I want to I give you a picture of what it looks like when the Son of Man comes into his kingdom with all that power and all that authority. And so he starts separating the sheep from the goat. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Doesn't that sound beautiful? For you who are blessed, ah, oh, come, this is a gift for you. You get to inherit, you get this, this gift that you didn't even necessarily work for in a sense. And, and this is a kingdom that, that was meant for you. You get to be part of what this son of man is doing. And then he says, and this is the unexpected part, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. So notice everybody's been gathered from all over the, the world, all the nations, which would have been the first shock, especially for you know, a group of nationalistic people who were expecting, many of them at least, a nationalistic hero to save their nation, but now everybody's here, so that's a little bit shocking. And then there's this separation, which probably makes a lot of people nervous. How do I make sure that I'm on the right side of this whole separation thing? And then it's not based on what they probably would have expected. Who is most successful? Who looks the best? Who's got the most money? Who's winning at life? Who are the powerful people? Who are the people that could run an empire or a kingdom? But instead, it's a list, and it's a list of vulnerable people. And I think you could have probably said, oh, you know, those who cared for vulnerable people. But the point is, go down the list. Just slow down the hungry people, the thirsty people, on and on. People who have needs, just just think through them. You go, when when you did that, that's what brought you to this side. And then there's this other surprise, because he goes... uh, when I was naked you gave me clothing and when I was sick and on and on I, you know they go the righteous ones replied lord when do, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing when did we ever see you sick or in prison or visit you hold on a second that's really backwards you're the king you're the son of man you're the messiah when did when did we ever see you having those needs because that kind of figure is, what, powerful, strong, has honor and authority and all that kind of stuff. It's not, it's not the, the weak and the vulnerable that you would expect to find the Son of Man in. You'd expect, you know, riding on a military horse and coming with all these troops and, and the power of politics or, or religion or whatever it is. And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Amazing. The king identifies with the people who are weak and vulnerable. That's where I am. That's where you find me. Where do you find this figure? Where do you find Jesus? Where do you find the Son of Man? Where, where, if we are looking for him, will we find him? And he says, when you fed those who are hungry, and when you gave the drink to those who are thirsty, a stranger, this probably would be someone uh, away from their, their nation, their people, their security, somebody very vulnerable, probably outside of their country, so an immigrant or a refugee, that you showed hospitality, that you brought them in and you cared for them and you made sure that their needs were met. When there were people who didn't have enough to clothe themselves, you clothed them. When they were in sick or in prison, you went to them and visited them and that's where the king was. It's not where you expect the king to be, but the king identifies with the people who are vulnerable and who need their needs to be met which makes me think that when we look to meet Jesus when we when we look to meet needs we find Jesus so you say well where is it that we'll find Jesus in our life where is he in our city if i want more of jesus in my life where should i go who should i talk to what should i do It's a real thing for a lot of us, especially, and this is not a guilt trip, trip, but a little bit of conviction to go, for those of us who say we're followers of Jesus, I've given my life to Jesus. My life is all about following him. I believe that in Jesus there is life, and I want to experience that life. I want to live in that life. I want to share that life. Where will we find Jesus? When we look to meet needs, we find Jesus, and when we find Jesus, we find life. Uh, There's some complicated questions that come out of a text like this. I'll allude to a a couple of them in a minute. But I don't know that it's, it's really all that complex. I think it's just really convicting. There's these big, thick textbooks, theology textbooks. You know, you can go through the New Testament and go, what is salvation all about? And how is somebody saved? And how does somebody come into eternal life? a lot of really good things, a lot of really important things. You know, you read through Paul, like a book like Romans, and you go, you got to figure some of this out. I mean, this is important stuff, because what's the mechanism? Like, I don't know if you've ever asked this, but you ask yourself, like, what happened on the cross of Jesus, that Jesus died, that now he could give us eternal life? What's the mechanism for that? And we have all sorts of different ways of trying to figure out this very powerful and mysterious thing that happened in the cross of Jesus by which we are gifted eternal life. And there's all kinds of theories, we're trying to figure it out. We call them atonement theories. Maybe you've heard of that. If you haven't, that's okay. Uh, But, you know, how do we know that we're right with God? And so you have, and I think this is really important, you have the Apostle Paul who says something uh, like this. He he says, we're saved by grace through faith, that that our life in God is given to us. We can't do anything in order to earn it. We're saved by faith. That's 100% true. We also have someone like James who says, faith without works is dead. And then you start thinking, what is the nature of faith? And I think, again, some very complicated, you could read just huge textbooks about it, but maybe what Jesus is doing in this story about the sheep and goats is saying, I wanna show you what life looks like when you have faith. If you really trust Jesus, Jesus, I trust you with my whole life. I trust that that God provides everything for me. I trust that God gives me uh, what I need physically, spiritually, emotionally as a gift that I cannot earn. I think what Jesus is trying to show us is when you receive that, there's, there's no other option except to say, now I become part of the giving of the gift. And one of the things we've done in sort of the modern Western world is sort of separated out our spiritual needs and our physical needs sometimes we kind of prop one up over the other one and we say well our spiritual needs are really important so that our souls can float away to heaven after we die which is not a great way to think of Christianity by the way although I do believe in an afterlife and that God saves us for eternity but here Jesus I think goes man if we, if we really get it, I think, you know, if you want to follow me, if you have faith again if you believe God has given you everything that you need as a gift to you to inherit well then come follow me I'll show you where life is Show you where life is. Because we're all the vulnerable people. In some way, in some shape, we're all the vulnerable people that have been given what we don't deserve by God. So then, in verse 41, it says, Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then... They will reply, Lord, when did we see you? They're just surprised. Well, we didn't see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you out. And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Now we have another issue because we stop and go, uh, What happened to the the gracious, loving Jesus who forgives, 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 tells us to forgive over and over and over? And now we have this very strong language of punishment. What is this? If you do a little bit of research, go ahead, go through the gospel, go through the gospel of Matthew, and just take a look at where Jesus, kind of his tone, goes from don't judge be gracious, forgiving. Everybody's included. And then when his tone switches to language like this and you go, whoa, that's strong language. Do you know for whom and in what situations he he, he, uh, uh, reserves that kind of language for? Typically, it's religious people who have a system that makes them feel good about themselves and leaves vulnerable people to fend for themselves. Go ahead, and I mean, there's all kinds of passages. I went through it this week. Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 19, Matthew chapter 22, Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23 is a list of you hypocrites, you hypocrites, you hypocrites. You tell everybody else what they're supposed to do, and you don't help them do it. You've got a religious system that makes you feel like you're you got it all put together, and you ignore the things that are most important, showing love and mercy to people who are in need. This is when Jesus, all of a sudden, kind of goes to that point where he goes, "I'm going to take." some of the strongest language and some of the strongest comparison that I can bring. If you want life, I want to tell you where you can get life. And so he brings out this this language where you just go, wow, that's so strong. Yes, it's supposed to be jarring. It's supposed to get you to go, wait, 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 wait. Jesus, what happened? He goes, yes, because you need to stop and listen to this. I'm trying to tell you where you find life. I'm trying to tell you what faith looks like. I'm trying to find you. I'm trying to tell you where you will find me. When you go looking to meet needs, you will find Jesus. And when you find Jesus, you find life. So where do we find him? Amongst the vulnerable, amongst those who don't have enough, amongst people that we might say look weak. That's where Jesus is. And if we are serious about saying we follow him, that is where we must go. So you might say, okay, does this mean, do I have to feed a certain number of people to go to heaven? Do I have to close? Like, what's that number? Like, just tell me where I get it, how much money do I have to donate? How many hours do I have to put in? And this is not the point, because that's not really how love works. Love doesn't say, give me a minimum number so that I can, you know, get there and go to heaven. I think Jesus says, just come follow me. Come on, come follow me one step at a time. Let's go. I'm taking you to life. You want to come with me? We'll take this one step at a time with where you're at and what you have. But come follow me. This gift that God has given to you. Everything in your life that you have. Let that sink in. By grace we are saved through faith. Now in faith let's go out and work that out. Let's go together. Let's find Jesus and let's let's find life there. Right, It's not that complicated. I get it. We could get into the weeds on on some of it, but man, it's it's challenging, isn't it? And it's beautiful and it's wonderful. So a few weeks ago, uh, we're driving, our family, we're driving and we come off the highway and we get to the top of the on-ramp, off-ramp, and there's somebody there asking for money. And so I rolled down my window, and I got a couple of bucks, and so I handed out the window. And my son, who's five, from the back seat, he goes, "'Dad, what, what did you just do? What did you, what did you, what's going on? What did you give this guy?' So we've kind of made it um, a priority for us. We want to teach our kids about money and about generosity early on. By the way, if you're a parent, um, studies show that the number one factor for whether or not people in their adult life are generous with what they have, number one by far factor, is if they were taught and modeled in their home growing up about generosity, which means if we want to have a generous generation that is coming up after us, this is something we should be intentional about with our kids. and to you, So we just, in small ways, you know, we get our, our kids to do little chores and give them allowance. And we have a give, save, spend jar. And when the give jar gets to a certain point, we go, okay, is there somebody in need? And, and we, so anyways, we come off the off-ramp and I hand this guy and we go, J- Joe, my son goes, dad, what'd you do? So we go, okay, it's a good opportunity. We just wanted to share uh, with him a little bit and say, you know, there's, uh, there's people for a variety of reasons that don't have enough maybe to buy food or to have a place to live. And so this is just a really, really tiny way, Joe, that maybe we could help out in a really small way, you know. You, he realizes he's kind of thinking about that. He takes it. Maybe a week later, 10 days later, we come off the same off ramp. We get to the top. There's somebody there, a little cop asking for money. And uh, Joe goes, dad, why aren't you giving that guy some money? And I go, oh, I don't have any cash, Joe. I, you know, like who carries cash? Like once in a while, but really, I don't carry cash that often. So sorry, Joe, I just don't have anything in the car uh, to give him right now, so uh, you know, I can't do that. And he goes, dad, why would you not have money in the car? <laughs> it's kind of funny, but then here's, here's what his little mind is doing. Dad, you know that when we come to this place, there's a really good chance there's going to be somebody there who's in need. Why were you not prepared? He didn't say it that mean. He's a nice kid. <laughs> and again, not a guilt trip, but just to go, Dad, why were you not prepared? Were you not looking for people who were in need? And he didn't say that. Those are my words, not his. But um, then all of a sudden I started realizing, and it's, it's not so much just about a couple of bucks in the car uh, for the, the person at the off-ramp, although it might be part of it, but are we prepared? How many of us are looking for needs because we know that that's where we find Jesus, that's where we find love, that's where we find life? How many of us say, I I need a budget line to make sure that we're putting money aside so that when when needs come up, when when we feel that little tug that God says, here's somebody, when we hear about a need, when we see somebody in need to make this a regular practice to say, I'm ready. I got money in the car. I got money in my bank account. I got my checkbook ready. I'm out there looking because needs are all around us, and when we look to meet needs, we find Jesus, and when we find Jesus, we find life. So I wonder, as a challenge for us who claim to be followers of Jesus, do we have budget lines? Maybe we have a little account that on a regular basis we're, we're putting aside? Do we have time in our schedule? Oh, I'm just so so busy. I'd love to help people in our city and people who are in. I'm just so busy. Do, do we just sit down with the calendar and go, when is my time during the year, during the month, during the week, to say I'm putting time in this because there's people with needs, and if I'm going to follow Jesus, I need to go look to meet those needs because I want to find more of Jesus. Are we going to be prepared to take the opportunities that God puts before us, some as individuals, and some collectively as a church? So I I wonder how many of us over the last little while have been wondering, how do we help people uh, in Ukraine? Uh, people who have been displaced, so many people who have been displaced, people who uh, are struggling, have lost everything, and, and uh, you know they're strangers in, in a different nation. Uh, so I just wanna give you just a, a real quick tease. You're gonna hear more about this over the next couple of weeks. But here in Hamilton, there's an organization called the, the Wesley Urban Ministries they do a lot of really good things. One of the things they're doing right now is setting up a refugee assistance program, and they are going to be welcoming uh, and, and receiving uh, refugees from Ukraine, Uh, And so we've been looking around as a church and asking ourselves, how could we maybe get involved in something and do something, provide opportunities for us? And their biggest need right now is in food. They're gonna be providing uh, food for people who are coming to this country uh, and finding safety and security. Uh, And so I just want you, maybe over this next couple of weeks, to start preparing for that. What would it look like if we just just filled up our lobby in a few weeks and said, there's gonna be some strangers, some refugees and immigrants in our city. And if we could just meet some of their needs. It would be an act of following Jesus, an act of worship, an act of compassion and love. And that's who we are and that's who we need to be. So Heavenly Father, uh, we pray that these convicting things um, would not be overwhelming to us today, uh, that we would simply see that your heart is for people who are in need, that all of us in different ways are people in need. And we receive from you And your generous gifts in every area of our lives. We pray that you would grow in us a compassion that would become part of our DNA, not just as individuals, but as a church, that would compel us to go out and find needs and where we can to meet them in your power and sacrifice and generosity. After all, that's what you've done for us in sending your son. He was rich, became poor for us so that we who are poor could become rich. May it be so in our lives and in our church, in Jesus' name.